Our scripture reading this morning I'll turn to Matthew 26. Verses 17 through 29. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 29. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one to you. Should have mentioned this already, but we also have masks. If you'd like to use one for service, masks are available. If you'd like to use one and don't have one. They're not just for you taking home with you, but if you'd like to use one for service here and you don't have one, we have some available to see an usher. Our Bible reading comes from Matthew 26, verse 17 through 29. Would you stand with me in respect to the reading of God's word? Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Well, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's bow for a word of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come for the singing and then the message today, and then after the message, we will share communion together. Let's bow now for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace in these times. We would ask that you would bless your people as we gather here today. Bless those who will view us through the internet. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. This is indeed a a time of grieving and loss. We remember and we think about Mac and we thank you for his life and his testimony 
a quiet faithfulness that that just um, he was a model of, and we thank you for that. We pray now for Jackie that you would strengthen, you would help her. For each one of his children, Lord, that you would be with them, remind them of your truth and your strength, and that his time of suffering is over and our time of grievement has begun. That you are sufficient for all of that. We thank you for that. We rely on that. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to help each other, help us to minister to each other, help us to be sensitive to one another's needs, and help us to rely on you as we minister to each other. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this church family. We thank you so much for hearts that grieve with us and minister to us during this time. Those that we can talk with and share with and laugh with and cry with. Those who know of the deep hurting of losing a loved one, those who know of losing a spouse and know you and trust you and have a testimony of walking with you, we thank you for them. And we just pray for your grace during this time. Lord, there's so much going on now. There's others who are just have health needs and issues and as life goes on, there's other needs that we come to you for. We pray, Lord, that you would just sustain your people, maintain your testimony in our lives and in this church, continue to have your gospel go out from this place and use it for your glory. Open our eyes now, Lord, to your truth today. Allow us to focus, allow us to hear what you have to say, and allow us to be blessed and be a blessing to others. Help us to honor you in all that we do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please be seated. I'd like you to turn with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week we talked about the various feasts that Israel had and how God wanted them to think of him in all that they did. And he used these feasts and celebrations as a way to focus their attention on what he has done. Well, we have a feast of sorts as believers that we are to participate and use to celebrate what Christ has done for us. It's called the Lord's Supper. We don't often eat an entire meal at that time, but today we're going to commemorate and re remember the Lord's Supper, remembering what he has done for us. And so I'd like to just lay the biblical foundation that God has for us for the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly call communion. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, gave instructions to the believers at Corinth for communion. It's important to note that the believers at Corinth were going through some issues. They had some problems in the church, and one of the problems that they had was their lack of proper attention to communion, and their... Uh, uh, they were preoccupied with themselves. They were self-centered as they took communion. 
and he gave instructions. So what we'll see here is, first of all, the rebuke that he gives to them about their practice of communion. We'll see the instruction that he gives to them for practicing communion. And then the warning that he gives to them as they take part in communion. So let's take a look at that, starting at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you come together. When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worst. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead and with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What's I, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He rebukes them for what they were doing at this communion time, at this Lord's Supper. They had a feast, and they did it in a self-centered way. So he says that needed to be corrected. He says, you come together as a church, but there were divisions among you. So he shows that there is to be true communion uh, for God's people, and it needs to be celebrated in that right spirit. And there were divisions among them. He said, now, some of those divisions were needed because there were things that were wrong. And when there are things that are wrong, there's going to be people who stand on what is right, and there's going to be people who stand on what is not right, and so you're going to have a division. So that he's saying, in, in essence, that's an okay thing to have. It's just that some of you are on the wrong side of this thing. And you need to be challenged, and you need to move in, in the right way. And so he noted that. But he says, when you come together, he's saying you don't really celebrate the Lord's Supper well in the attitude that you have. He said they had a self-centered attitude. One goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. There were two things that were happening. There were those without, and there were those who had but weren't willing to share, and those who were gluttonous in what they had. We talked a little bit about that at our meal on Sunday and saying that, that that's wrong. That, that's a sin to pile your plate up and to, to pile on, and others who didn't have, um, um, didn't have. Actually, it would be a sin whether others had or not. To, to eat that way. But he said in the way that they were practicing, it was taken away from what they were celebrating. And that's often the case. Last week we talked about many of the, the feasts of, of Jews and uh, how they celebrated. And I wanted to note for you today how um, Jesus, as a Jew, also celebrated those feasts, but they were in the practice of celebrating them in, in ways that basically forgot what the whole purpose was. And we need to watch out for that danger. So let, let's take a look at just a few things. Look at with me. I'm going to look at several passages in the Gospel of John. So look at John chapter 2, verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. Several passages in John that we'll look at. 
John 2.13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Very short verse, but it shows that here was a feast, the Passover, and Jesus did what was required of Jews then, and he went to Jerusalem to par participate in this feast. Now, if you're in that same chapter, look at verse 23 and 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Well, you read earlier, um, he had cleansed the temple while he was there at that Passover feast. And, and some people got upset with that, but they understood what Jesus was doing. He saw that they had a practice that did not stand for what God intended it to stand for. They were doing things that were out of order and not in line with what God intended. We find that in our own culture. You know, we have Christmas, but people hardly want to call it Christmas anymore, and they do everything, and sometimes we can get caught into that culture of buying gifts and, and, and having celebrations and forget at our celebration and our gift giving the gift that God gave that really uh, uh, should be meaningful for that day, the gift of his own son to earth. And so we can celebrate everything in Christmas without thinking about Christ and his birth and his coming to earth. We do the same thing at Easter time. Um, you know, um, all, all of the bunnies and the, uh, you know, eggs and chocolate and all kinds of things that have nothing or very little to do with Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. We need to remember what we actually celebrate and celebrate it. And so I think the Jews were caught up with that as well. And so as a result of that, you see in verse 23 of John, he says, when Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. The same Greek word is used when it says many believed, and then the word entrust himself. The same Greek word. So in essence, it's saying many believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. <laughs> um, he saw through their phoniness. And he says... Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus sees through. He, sees, he saw through them then. He sees us today. And he knows whether sometimes we fool ourselves. We never fool God. We can fool ourselves into thinking that everybody's convinced that I am this or that. And God is not convinced and he's not fooled. Jesus knew who his true followers were. In chapter 5, verse 1, we see that same uh, um, practice at verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1 of John. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Again, part of that practice and part of the culture, and uh, he, he followed, he was obedient uh, to the word of God. Chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. He sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Uh, one of the ways that you can 
see the chronology of John is to recognize these, these events, the Passovers, and you can see how many years Jesus served by marking those events. And you see that John is written in a chronological uh, order and sequence so that we can actually see that. So it lists the Passover here, and we know that this is the time when Jesus um, fed the, the 5,000. And um, um, won't go through the details there, but you read through, and he took what one of the, uh, the lad had, and he, he did a miracle there before the people, and they were amazed that he fed so many with so little. It was an actual miracle that he did, and this pointed to him and who he was, and he made a point of speaking from this. Look at verse 25 of chapter 6 of John. Now, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you are filled, because, you're, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus begins to, to speak to them from where they are and speak to him about what he did, making uh, this food to multiply and feed the multitude. Let me continue reading at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Remarkable statement that they make, isn't it? What sign do you do? What work do you perform? Jesus, if I was the one to say, are you blind? Yes, you are. Spiritually, you are blind. You cannot see all the signs I've already done and one that's right before you. But he begins to point out what he has done. And it's significant. I want us to see it. Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They still don't get it, don't do that. He's saying, my father gave you manna, and, and the true bread is the one who comes down and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. They don't realize that, or they don't acknowledge that. Verse, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus makes the point there that he has done this miracle to show them, that yes, food is important. He is the essential element. He is the bread of life. He's the giver of life, and outside of him you can have no life. Let's skip down a little bit to verse 47 now. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus points out that he's the bread of life. He gives himself and he provides eternal life for all who believe in him. And he literally says, you eat this bread and you will live eternally. Now, he says that to stir up their thinking and to challenge them. And I say that to you today to give you a picture of what communion looks at. And we don't eat Jesus's bread and we don't drink his blood. But we're reminded that it is from Jesus's body and from his blood that our salvation, our eternal life comes from. The act that he performed with his body and shedding his blood on the cross brings to those who trust in him eternal life. There is no other way to have eternal life. And so as we take communion today, we're remembering the object of our worship and the one who provides our salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ and the way and the means that he has provided it by his own body on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins as we trust in him. We dare not minimize or forget that great truth. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I like what Jesus does there. They, they, they become literal and they become skeptical. What do you mean? You giving us your flesh to eat. That's crazy. And Jesus just takes it, goes right along with them. You think I'm talking crazy? Let me tell you a little bit more. He says, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the fathers, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus spoke boldly, didn't he? He spoke plainly. But I want you to know, they totally misunderstood. Why did they misunderstand? Why did they misunderstand? Why, why, what, what threw them off? And why did Jesus continue with the very thing that threw them off? The literal reference to his body and his flesh, you, you would say perhaps threw them off. And, you know, we might wrestle with that a little bit. Um, but Jesus knew that there was a greater thing that took them away from understanding truth. 
and it was their spirit. He, he, it's their, their attitude, their unwillingness to accept him. The truth isn't that hard to accept. It's a matter of, has God opened your eyes to the truth? Look at verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning the, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that you can, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Amen. We didn't read those parts, but you can go back in the chapter and you can read it. And ver like verse 36, I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. <laughs> For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day, Jesus reemphasized that those who the, you can't trust in God until God does the work to bring you to himself. These were intelligent men, but they were rebellious men who struggled with the truth because their hearts were not right. It's not because their minds, in essence, couldn't handle truth. But it's the heart that directed how they handled truth. We see that today, too, don't we? A lot of facts go out on the Internet. A lot of information is going out. And people use the information in whatever way they want to slant it. You wonder, can they even handle truth? Are they able to, to, to get at truth? God opens the heart. And he allows us to receive truth. He opens our eyes to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. You won't have eternal life. But he, it's true. It's, it's, it's easy to see what he means. He says, you need to embrace me, all of me. You need to believe in me and all that I say and all that I am. And unless you do that, you have no part of me. Chapter 13 of John. I'm going to connect it all. Chapter 13 is another reference to another feast. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, so we see the setting. This is the last Passover of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's come through several, and the book of John has kind of marked some events by them. But now we come to this last one, and this is just days or a day before he's to go to the cross. It says here, he knew that his hour had come. Several times in John you'll see in other passages that Jesus said, my hour hasn't come yet. But now his hour has come. God knows the hour. Jesus knows that the hour has now arrived. 
And what hour is that? His hour, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he goes on to what he did. He washed the disciples' feet. The setting here is this meal that they had. I want to take you to another passage we read earlier. It's in Matthew chapter 26. Actually, let's turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Uh, Luke 22, it starts at verse 7. This is a parallel passage to John and also, well, somewhat to John, but also to uh, Matthew that we read earlier today, Matthew 26, 17 through 29, where um, he says, see in verse 7, they, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So he gave him instructions to prepare this Passover meal, and he had a house set aside, and uh, that's where they, they, they prepared it, and that's where they ate. Verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Okay, so this is before him going to the cross immediately before, just the day before he's going to the cross and, and he tells them, he shares this with them. Let me continue reading. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so he's instituting what we call the Lord's Supper, and he's doing this at a meal that was called the Passover meal. He takes the Passover meal that is about the lamb. Remember the, the Old Testament, the lamb that was slain and the blood was put on the doorpost so that the, the, the uh, uh, angel, the death angel would pass over when he saw the blood on the post. Well, there's no surprise to us today that we understand that that lamb and that blood represents Jesus's blood and what he accomplished for us, those who trust in him in salvation. His blood provides that Passover. So God's judgment will pass over those who trust in Jesus's blood, those who trust in Jesus's death. So he takes that same supper, that same moment, and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And in that meal, he says, here's bread. But he says, it represents my body. Here's, here's wine. It represents my blood. 
I'm bringing in a new covenant that's based on my body, my blood. My death on the cross, my resurrection, my shedding of my blood for you, those who will come to believe in me. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they be began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. I reference this because in 1 Corinthians, Paul references that event too, and it's a part of this event that Jesus knows that in his midst there's a betrayer, Judas. He knows who he is. And he points him out at that, at that feast. And then John will tell us that, John asked him, you know, well, who is it? Everybody's wondering who this is going to be. And Jesus gave, gives John a clue and says, hey, it's the one that when I dip this bread and give it to him, he's the one. You know, Judas, Judas, <laughs> Judas knew, didn't he? He knew already. He had already started the act of betrayal by making a, 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 a pact with the, with the Pharisees and saying, hey, how you want me to set him up? Just tell me how and I'll do it. Now he goes to this meal and he asks Jesus. You know why he asks him? Because he's got to appear like all the other disciples. The other disciples are, are, are humbled by this. Lord, how could this happen? One of us would be, and if it could it possibly be me? That's a humbling, searching question, isn't it? Jesus says, no, it's not you. But when Judah says, could it be me, Lord? So phony, wicked. Jesus said, you said it. And that seems to be a quiet personal conversation that all the other ones don't know, but John wrote about it, and so he understood because he asked Jesus, well, who is it? Jesus said, I'll show you who it is, and I'll tell you how, how you will know. And so he hands it to Judas, and he knows who Judas is. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians 11 and see how Paul works this through. Verse 23. We saw the rebuke of how they had taken what should celebrate Christ's sacrifice. God's greatest gift. And they made it self-centered. Just to grab whatever you can. Whoever come first, get as much as you can. Don't worry about what's left for anybody else. Meal. That's what they made it. Paul is saying, you know, the same thing was happening there. There was wickedness around that table then. He says, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, Paul's saying, I got this instruction from Christ. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, you get that? The night he was betrayed, took bread. The night he was betrayed. When all this nonsense was going on with Judas... Jesus spent time with his disciples to share with them what, how they ought to remember and the important event that was going to happen. His death, his crucifixion, the payment, atonement for sin was taking place and he's sharing this with his disciples. On the same night he was betrayed. What happened? He took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying this, this represents my body. It's not that it becomes something special. It doesn't change the, the essence of what it is. And, and whether you're using toast or whether you're using cracker or wafer or donut, you know, it, it, it says it represents my body. It's there to represent. He says, verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's going from the old covenant and Passover to new covenant. And though the old covenant pointed to Christ truly, the new covenant enlightens what Christ came to do. It's a new covenant and those who trust in Christ will find salvation. But it's not just for Israel. It's for all those who would trust in him. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. In other words, we ought to be thinking about what Christ has done for us. Now let me jump to the second part. Um, we looked at the rebuke. We look at the instruction. Let's look at the warning that Paul gives because this part is connected with the warning. When he says in verse 27, there, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Unworthy would be that that's, that doesn't line up with God, with what God intends. What does he intend? He says, Drink this in remembrance of me. Remembering me, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, for often as you do it, however often you do it, whatever day you decide to do it. By the way, he's talking to his disciples and Paul is speaking to the church. And by the way, this, this act is to be done as a part of the church, a part of not just the whole church, but the local church. He's talking to the church at Corinth and said, this is how you ought to partake in it. So the warning is to do it in such a way that remembers Christ. So here's several practical warnings. If you haven't trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you should not partake in the Lord's Supper, period. You need to make that judgment because I can't read your heart and God didn't give me that spirit of discernment to look through your heart and know if your faith is genuine or not. But you need to make that. We're going to have communion today and you're going to be asked to come forward and it's going to be your decision of whether you take a cup or not. But you need to be very careful in what you do. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you should not take the cup. That's not the only criteria, though. He says if you do it in an unworthy manner, he's talking to believers in Corinth as well, and he says you can do it in an unworthy manner. He's already pointed out that there were divisions among them, and they had attitudes that weren't right. And so he points out that if there is a sinful attitude or operating sin that hasn't been dealt with, then we should with we should, we should hold off receiving communion because that would not be pleasing to God. So he makes the point that it's for believers only. Secondly, it's for believers who are in right fellowship with God and with each other. 
believers that are in right fellowship with God and with each other. He says, then examine yourselves. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. Now, you see, I might examine you and you look good to me. You know, I don't hear what's going on in the conversation of your heart. I don't know the conversation you had with your brother or sister a few minutes ago, a few days ago. I don't know any of that. So it's, I can't really properly examine you. But you are responsible for examining yourself. And that's an awesome responsibility. Because guess what? I won't hold you accountable to that. But God will. Each and every time that you participate, God is going to hold you accountable to examining yourself. And he, like Jesus saw in John chapter 2, he sees the heart and he knows the heart. And you won't get away with telling him you're all right when you're not. He will challenge you on that. In fact, the challenge is actually very serious. If you skip a little bit in verse 31, it says, verse 30 that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And he says it's not just a spiritual judgment or not just a judgment that affects you spiritually, but physically. Some people are physically sick because they took God's word lightly and did not honor God in their worship of him. He says some are sick. Some are weak. In other words, it's been a regular thing and it's affected them physically. And he says some have even been put to death. God has judged them and brought them death because they did not honor his truth and his word in their practice. Now, this can seem like a small thing to you. Who cares whether I take the cup or not? But I want to tell you, it's not small to God. You know why? Because of what it's about. It's about his son that he sent to pay the price for our sin. And we're remembering what, what Christ experienced and what it cost for my salvation. And God says, dare you ever take that lightly? He says, you may, but I don't and I won't. God does not take it lightly. He sent his son because that was the only means for us to be saved. And he did it that way. Now he says, remember what Christ has done and don't do it lightly. As we take communion today, we will not judge you if you choose not to take it. In fact, I hope that if your heart isn't right or you have some issues or some things don't line up the way that they should, that you won't take it. Don't take it to try to show me that you're okay. That would be the wrong thing to do. Because I'll look at you and smile. But God won't. He won't be smiling. And he won't take it lightly. So Paul cautioned them. He says, examine yourselves. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What is he saying there? If we 
had self-discipline and examined ourselves and walked accordingly, we would have no need for anybody else, God included, to come and judge us. We should take care of those matters ourselves. Right now, you should be doing that. If there's something that you need to deal with quietly in your own heart, you can say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of that. I don't want to do something that puts me in jeopardy or disobeys your truth or your word. And perhaps it's something that is just simply not that easy. You need to do more than just that. You need to, yes, ask forgiveness, but you need to make right. And you won't be right until you make it right. In other words, until you get with that brother or that sister and confess to them and make it right with them. And if you need to do that, do that before you take communion. Do it and then come back and do what God has commanded us to do and to take communion. So he gives us that warning. Verse 32, he gives us a little comfort. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. I like that term. It's a better term for us as believers. God's judgment is what happens to unbelievers. But what he does with his, with his own children, he works with them. <laughs> he disciplines them. And what happens? He says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The judgment of the world brings condemnation. There's no hope. There's no getting out of that. When they're finally judged, what God does with his own people is he disciplines them. And he reproves them. He's moving them in the right direction. He wants to change their hearts and bring them to a heart of obedience so that he won't have to condemn them. So if you've been disciplined by God, it might hurt a little bit, might hurt a lot. But you know, God did it for your good, and that's a good thing. You can be thankful that he hasn't condemned you, that he has disciplined you and not condemned you. So he sums up verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If another, anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So he says, deal with right attitudes, deal with, deal with wrong attitudes and correct those. And then come and participate in the Lord's Supper, the fellowship that he has provided. We're going to do that now. I'm going to ask our men, our leadership team, if they will come forward. What we do today is different. It's a little bit different for us, and I'm going to explain how we're going to do this. I'm going to ask ushers if you've been appointed, if you would stand in the back there. There's going to be three of you, one in the middle and one on each side. And so there's a couple things that we do that are different today. One is we're doing it in the morning, which we don't normally do. It's going to be our regular practice since we don't have a regular evening service. And so to do that, we have to do several things. Um, we need to, um, we've made allowance for precaution with COVID-19. And so um, there's certain things that we're going to ask you to do to help us out in that. 
We're not going to pass trays from person to person. Instead, we're going to have you come forward and receive a tray and go back to your seat. And then we're going to all partake together once everyone has a, a, a cup. One thing that's different today is your cup that you're going to get has a cup and then it's sealed, and then it has the wafer, and then that is sealed. So both of them are together. When you get the cup, you'll have both together. I'm going to ask you to just take it back to your seat and not open it yet. When we are ready, I'm going to ask you to open the top, and you'll see the wafer there, and then we'll take that together. And then you'll open the cup, and then we'll take that together. And then, and uh, so we'll be done then. All right. Now, there's an orderly way that we're going to do this. We're going to start in the back of the church, and we're going to line up to receive our cups. We're going to come around the outside aisles. From the back of the church, we're going to come to the outside aisles, up to the front. You, our deacons are going to pass out that cup and, and uh, wafer to you. It's one combination. You get it. You go back to your seat through the center aisle and go back to your seat. So you come through the outside aisles up to the front and go back to your seat through the center aisle. The other thing I'm going to ask you to do, even if you're not receiving communion, you'll be asked to come forward and keep the line moving because we don't, have, we don't want to have people walk across you as you sit it in your seat, seated in your seat. So everyone, including our children, if you're with parents and you have children, just have them come and walk through, and only those who are actually going to take communion will receive a cup. Okay? We will direct you seat by seat or row by row in coming forward. So let me just repeat. You're going to come up, decide. Everybody will walk around. They'll receive the elements. They'll go back to their seat through the center aisle. Once everybody has received their cup, we will um, take the wafer together and the cup together. Um, all together. I'm going to ask each person to come forward, even if you're not going to take communion, but just to walk through and then go back to your seat. That will help us in a little bit of order today. We've looked at the Word of God and we've seen the instructions, and so just want to repeat that what we have today does not magically become anything. It's not going to make you a more powerful believer by taking this today is going to make you obedient to the word of God either by taking it or not taking it. It's going to be an act of obedience. It's also going to be an act where we worship together. This is something that God has instituted in the local church. It is for believers. It's my conviction is for believers who are connected with the local church. I haven't had time to really point that out in Scripture today. I'd like to, to share that as we go along. So I believe if you are not connected with the local church, that you shouldn't take communion today. You should wait until that connection is made secure. Paul gave it to believers uh, uh, in Corinth. They were part of the church. They were committed together with each other. Each person should be connected with a local church. You may be ready to get, go through new membership class. You may be waiting to be baptized. I don't know what the, the uh, process is or what's needed for you, but why don't you wait until that's done and then take communion? You'll have to judge those things. I'm giving you what I think the Word of God is sharing, and, and you, need to, uh, you need to make those decisions and, and make them quickly today. 
All right, we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to, to ask our Lawrence if he would pray for that wafer that we're going to take today that represents Jesus' body. I'm going to ask Andy if he would pray for that cup, the juice that represents Jesus' blood. So let's bow and Would you all stand? Ushers from the back direct you to the side aisle, starting with the back row. your seat, would you be seated? So I'll know that everyone is served when everyone is seated. everyone receive that wishes to receive would you go ahead and open that top seal both of mine at the same time so be careful but I finally got it right did you get one so that that wafer this represents Jesus's body he was sent to earth in a human body born the Virgin Mary 
that he might be a man, fully man and fully God. And he went to the cross with that human body so that he could die on the cross for our sins. Remember Christ as we eat together. If you haven't already, open your cup, the seal there. This is just a juice, but it represents Jesus' blood. His blood was forecast by all the Old Testament sacrifices before him that the innocent blood of the animal was used to sacrifice for man's sin. Jesus' blood was that of the sinless one who was sacrificed, put on a cross to pay for my sin, your sin, for all those who will come to trust in him. Remember Christ as we drink. Jesus said to his disciples at that meal, he wouldn't drink of this again until he drank together with his disciples. And last week I talked about that marriage supper of the Lamb, that we have been invited to that meal, and we're going to enjoy that meal with Christ forever. I like meals. I'm glad to know that in heaven, meals are going to be a part of heaven. That's how I know it's really going to be heaven. Amen. It's going to be an enjoyable time together. God is looking forward to us to enjoy fellowship with him forever. Don't you think about when God put Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve were there, and he would fellowship with Adam. They would walk in the cool of the day. They had a fellowship together. That's why God knew something was wrong with Adam when he said to him, what's the problem, Adam? What's going on? Something has separated the, the great fellowship that they have. We look forward to that fellowship. I am thankful. My father-in-law is now enjoying what he longed look for. And it brings sadness to my heart to not have him. But it brings great joy to know that he's experiencing what I look forward to experiencing. And that is together with Christ. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, Absent from the body is present with the Lord. So we look and we think forward, look forward to being with Christ and enjoying that fellowship. He's take the dread away from that moment. Have you ever had an appointment with somebody that was important and you're like a little nervous about meeting with them? Well, we don't have to be nervous about meeting with our Father because he's taken the dread away. He has not condemned us. He's made us to be a part with him. He's welcoming us. Is it Psalm 115 or Psalm 116, 15? It's precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So he's looking forward to coming together with us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Brian, would you close us um, in a word of prayer as we close our service today?